Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for listening. This is Embodied Astrology and this is your host, Renee Sills. I'm a sensate intuitive, consulting astrologer, somatic movement educator, and social practice artist. Embodied Astrology is my ongoing project that researches and explores tropical astrology as a means to better understand ourselves, our relationships, our environment, our sacredness, and our potential in participation with politics and social change. Every month I offer forecasts and interpretations of the current and upcoming astrology, audio horoscopes, and written affirmations for all 12 signs at the new and full moons, as well as guided somatic meditations and embodiment practices that help you work with the current astrology for your integration and benefit. Along with these regular free offerings, I also offer embodied astrology research journals for each zodiac season. Usually beginning around the 20th day of each month, these journals work with the shifting seasonal light, lunar cycles, and planetary transits and are meant to help you learn more about how astrology works as an earth and body-based language and how to use it as a tool for planning, scheduling, and observation. The journals are available as a one-time purchase, or you can get them every month for free by signing up to become a monthly donor at embodiedastrology.com. You can donate at any amount per month, and along with the journals, you'll receive special offers and discounts for classes, workshops, and other events. The episode that you're about to listen to was recorded for the full moon and season of Pisces that began on February 18th, 2019. In the episode, I talk about what Pisces is and some of the ways we experience it, the major planetary forces affecting Pisces right now, the full moon in Virgo, which is Pisces' opposite sign, and the planetary aspects and lunar cycles for the month ahead until we get to Aries season, which will begin on March 20th. Make sure to listen to your audio horoscopes that accompany this podcast. Each horoscope goes in-depth into the most powerful aspects of this new moon and the upcoming month and in sign-specific readings. Along with the audio horoscopes, you can also find short written horoscopes and other resources at embodiedastrology.com. If you love this work and want to help support it to continue, there are so many ways you can do that. Please share it with your friends and family. Please share it with your networks. Click the likes and the heart buttons, leave the comments, write reviews, rate it five stars. And of course, your financial donations are so appreciated. And 100% of what you give goes right back into this project and helps me to support it and to sustain it and continue to make it better. So once again, if you want to donate, you can head over to embodiedastrology.com. You can click the donate and subscribe button. You can sign up to become a monthly subscriber. And that means that you'll get the Embodied Astrology Research Journals for free, as well as discounts on events and classes, such as some that I'm just about to tell you about. And I know that many of you want to get onto the astrology. So Quickly, I'm just going to announce some announcements. I'm going to tell you about some upcoming classes that I'm really excited to offer. They are both online, which means that anyone can take them anywhere. They'll be recorded. They're available even after the date that they happen. And I'll tell you all about those. And then I'll also tell you about some upcoming travel plans. I have to be in Southern California in mid-March. I'll be in Joshua Tree during the spring equinox and at the next full moon. Um, And I'll be in Los Angeles the week after that, the week of March 23rd. So if you're around that area and you want to come check me out, my plans are still solidifying, but I'm going to tell you all about it. Um, The... Astrology is going to start in at just around nine minutes. So if you want to jump to that, please do. And otherwise, thanks so much for spending the next couple of minutes with me in these announcements.
Well, I have a couple of classes coming up and I'm really excited to be teaching them. I have been on kind of a long hiatus from teaching. I've been teaching a little bit here and there, but I have been a teacher for 15 years now, so I'm used to teaching quite a lot. And the last couple of years I've been teaching very um, sparsely. And so I'm really excited to start teaching a little bit more and finding my way into whatever it is that I do and uh, offering space for whatever it is that I want to offer space for, which has been um, what really feels like a birthing process in the last couple of months is kind of recognizing where the intersections of my interests can come together and uh, I can start to play in that space. So these two classes are both that. They're hybrid classes. They'll bring in astrology. They will also work with um, self-reflection and relationship practices and social practice, kind of like how we interact with one another and how we are in relationship with ourselves. And they may include creativity of some kind, like drawing or writing, probably not anything that's, um, you know, you need to share, but kind of more for you. And then embodiment, of course, meditation and um, somatic work. And I'll be kind of weaving astrology throughout it and letting astrology be the container for the classes, but the classes themselves are a lot of things. So the first class, which is coming up um, on April 6th, and I should say quickly that these classes are both online and there's a time when I'll be doing them live, but they'll also be recorded and they'll be available then after that for you. So if you can't make the time, it's no big deal. But the first class is on Saturday, April 6th. It's from 11 a.m. until 1.30 Pacific time. So that's a long time to be on the internet. I know there's going to be a break in the middle and like some things that you kind of go off and do by yourself and then come back. Um, and again, everything's going to be recorded so you can get it uh, later. And this class is called Reconnecting the Separated Self. And we're going to be using astrology, the astrology of Chiron and Aries, which I'm going to be talking a lot about in this podcast, um, to consider what mental wellness is and uh, ego healing. So um, listen uh, to the podcast. I'll be talking more about Chiron and Aries and a little bit about what I think that means. And then in this class, we're really going to dive into it and um, we'll work with ritual, we'll work with meditation. Uh, You'll learn a little bit about how to find Chiron and Aries um, and a little bit about the houses and your own chart. Um, And then we'll interpret this transit and talk about the mythology and the background of Chiron. And then you'll have some tools to understand how it uh, is going to affect each um, rising sign. So how you would kind of read it into a chart and a whole bunch of other stuff. So that's coming up on April 6th on Saturday. That's the Aries new moon. And then on the Taurus new moon, which is May 4th, it's also a Saturday, I'll be offering a class that I've been dreaming up now for a little bit over a year. It was uh, a little over a year ago that I offered the first iteration of this class called Elemental Economics, where I'm thinking about astrology and I'm thinking about biology and ecosystems and then and and dance <laughs> and um, choreographic tools and ways to work with groups and um, a couple of other things in application to 
money and finance and how we share with one another. Um, so if you've been listening to me for a little bit, then you've heard me talk about uh, economies changing with Uranus moving into Taurus. And I'm really fascinated with the potential and the opportunity that this is opening for us. I think a lot of us are really ready for something else. We're ready for a different system that's not a system, but that's actually grounded in uh, presence and being uh, human and caring for each other. Um, and how we pivot and transition into something like that, I don't know. So this class is definitely an experiment and it's an experimental pricing model as well. It's totally accessible. Um, there is a, a cost that I've set as the class cost, but there's also sliding scale and barter for the class. So if you're interested in taking it, um, check that out. And Again, that's on um, May 4th. That's the live class, and then that'll also be recorded. And both of these classes will probably continue to expand and offer in different iterations, both live and online. So um, keep a lookout. I also want to let people in Southern California know that I'll be in Joshua Tree the week of March 18th. I'll be there over um, the equinox and it's a full moon um, on the equinox, so I may be doing something. My plans are kind of still forming, but I will definitely have some space open for readings, and I may um, offer a little bit of a ritual space as well myself or potentially in collaboration with some other folks. And then in L.A., I'll be there the next weekend, um, the weekend of the 23rd. And then, excuse me, did you hear me burp? <laughs> and then into the next week. Um, and... I'm still not sure what I'm doing there either, but I am going to be offering some readings and potentially one or two workshops. So those details are still coming in. You can get all of the information on Instagram and Facebook and my newsletter. Um, and then of course, right here on this podcast. So please um, be in touch if you're interested and I hope to see you there. All right. Thanks so much for listening to these announcements. Let's get going with this astrology. All right, so getting into the astrology of Pisces season, the sun is moving into Pisces on February 18th. I'm recording this podcast about a week before. It's the 13th of February. So I'm going to start there actually and just say that today Mars perfected its conjunction with Uranus and Aries in the last degree of Aries. And the last couple of days, I have felt like my head is going to explode. And I've been communicating with um, a couple of you on the social media channels. And it seems like a lot of people have been having this kind of feeling of like, um, just a lot of pressure. Mars and Uranus together is a very combustive energy and it has a ton of, of, of energy. Um, but that energy can move in some pretty unpredictable ways and Aries rules the head. And so, especially if you're a person that has a strong Aries, uh, chart or other important placements in the late cardinal or early fixed signs, this aspect may have really been, um, touching something for you. So I just want to say I feel you and um, it will be over soon. Tomorrow, which is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's. I love you. Thank you for listening. A big heart squeeze from me to you. Um, anyway, tomorrow Mars moves into Taurus and that's really going to feel like a change of pace. Mars has been in Aries for the last couple of months. Um, it spends about two months in the sign 
and Mars rules Aries. And so when Mars is in Aries, it functions really well. Like there's a lot of energy and, um, that can be great for a lot of things, but I'm ready for Mars to get into Taurus, um, personally, because I like Mars and Taurus. And if you read classical astrology, you will read things about Mars and Taurus, um, not being like a great placement. I don't really go for that. I think that Mars and Taurus just needs to move real slow. And Taurus is a sign that moves slow and likes to move slow. And if you were following me on Instagram, you would have seen, um, Last week around the new moon, I posted about the Chinese Lunar New Year, which is the year of the Earth Pig. And this is a year to vibe slow, like prioritize your pleasure, take some naps. I found this great new Instagram um, profile that I love called the Ministry of Naps, and you should check them out. Um, Relate with people, eat good food, like take care of your home, take care of your environment, and accumulate resources of nourishment and then share them and like chill out as much as you possibly can. So Mars and Taurus is good for that. It's good for slow moving. And tomorrow on Valentine's Day, it's really sweet and sexy. So I hope you have a sweet and sexy day. Um, Okay, so now let's get into the astrology of Pisces season. The sun moves into the sign Pisces um, on February 18th. And I just want to take a minute and kind of break down what that means, that when I say the sun moves into the sign Pisces, it's actually not accurate. The words that I used are not entirely accurate. And it's because of the lingo, like the lingo is wrong because it's not really a sign. And that's the thing with tropical astrology, which is what I practice. Western astrology is not actually based on the sidereal zodiac, which is the stars or are the stars, I should say. Um, But it's based on the, the tropical zodiac, which is defined by the tropics. So if you've heard Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn, etc. There are these invisible lines that um, have to do with math, basically with the relationship of the earth to the sun and our yearly orbit around the sun. And then of course the moon is orbiting us. That's something else. Um, But the earth in relationship to the sun has different angles that it passes at pretty much the same time every single year. So as we enter into Pisces, we are entering into what's considered uh, to be the end of the winter season in the Northern Hemisphere or the end of the summer season in the Southern Hemisphere. And next month, we'll move into the sign Aries. And on the first day of Aries, that's the vernal equinox. That is the first day of spring. And it's when light is balanced. So if you live in a Northern latitude, as I do in Portland, Oregon, light is balanced on the first day of spring. And now that we're getting into Pisces, light is growing and I can finally feel it. And I'm so excited to feel that the days are getting a little bit longer. And there's a lot of wetness right now. So we just had this crazy rain. Maybe some of you saw joke memes going out about Portland's snowstorm, which didn't really happen, but everybody got super prepared, including me. Um, But it's really wet. And Pisces is the wettest time of the year here in Portland. That's not true everywhere. 
but here in the north and um you know there's been a lot of snow through the midwest etc it's the time of year when kind of everything gets released from the winter season but at the same time light is growing and things are starting to warm up a little bit and so life is moving and that kind of mixing around that happens when the earth gets really saturated and moist but then it's starting to warm up is this perfect fertile breeding ground for all kinds of things and as we get into Aries the heat will start to come back right it's the first heat of the year and then we're moving into the cycle of the year that's about growth but what we're doing right now is is moving out of the cycle of the year that was about contraction now if you're on the opposite side of the globe you are going into that cycle right now Pisces is a season for you that's about ending summer and going into the the other half and so um, in just a minute, when I start to talk about Virgo, I'll be talking a little bit about this balance as well. But where y'all are, um, and I've never lived in the Southern Hemisphere, so this is um, an imagination um, of mine. But what I imagine having experienced summer ending is that you are in the time of year when life has has bloomed, it's blossomed, it has reached its full expression, and now things are starting to dry up. And in this season, it's, it's harvest. And so you're bringing things in. And there's also this kind of mixing. But in this season for you, it's a little bit more about refining. And refining and mixing are uh, what happens in the mutable signs. And Pisces is a mutable sign. It's the time when uh, something changes. And if you think about the glyph, or the symbol for Pisces, which looks like two crescents facing away from each other with a line between them. Um, this is a symbol of two fish swimming away from each other. And one fish is swimming into winter and one fish is swimming into spring. And so all of the mutable signs, that includes Pisces and Virgo as well as Gemini and Sagittarius, are signs that change seasons. And that is one thing about Pisces is that Pisces is changeable. So what kind of changeable is it? Well, it's a water sign and water in the astrological language and astrology is a language. It's a way of describing things and using words to describe things. Like if I look at another astrologer and I go Pisces and I have a certain look on my face, they'll know exactly what I mean. Um, anyway, uh, I digress. So um, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, water. So in the astrological language, water is a symbol for emotion, for feeling. And the watery parts of our bodies are the places where we store feeling. So I think of, of the watery parts as kind of the interior, as the soft and receptive and um, porous and permeable interior, like our feelings, right? So we have different kinds of feelings. We have feelings that have to do with caring for other people. We have feelings that have to do with our own fears or obsessions or attachments. And then we have feelings that we can't really place and that we don't understand. And we have feelings that arise in relationship to other people that might be close by or the environment that we're in. Like if you walk into a house and you just get a vibe, like you get a feeling, you're like, whoa, I just walked into this room and like all of a sudden I felt sad. 
So Pisces is the kind of feeling that is mysterious. And when it's changeable, I think of Pisces as the feelings that morph and shift and they kind of saturate and permeate into your um, like weird mental, emotional, psychic crevices. And like, you don't really know that they're there. It's just kind of a residue. And then something will come up and brush by it. And like, you'll get this wave of feeling. And the kind of feelings that that Pisces uh, is are also the feelings that are shared. um, And the way that we change each other with our feelings. And Pisces is strong vibes. So if you're someone who has strong Pisces, or if you know people who are strong Pisces, vibes are like everywhere. And I, until the last two years or so, didn't actually know that many Pisces. Like I have one really close Pisces person in my life, but they're so Aries and Aquarius other than their son that I don't, I don't know that I really experience them as Pisces. Um, But in the last year, I've actually been able to get to know a couple of Pisces. And it's really interesting because um, as a Leo, my sign is in conjunct. That means 150 degrees from Pisces. And so there are some things about Pisces that I just like don't get when it comes to uh, interacting. But I've learned a lot from these people that I've been able to know. And one of the things that I've learned is that communication is not really about words with them. It's really about vibe. And if I'm in a space of feeling tense while I'm talking to them, they're going to get tense. Or if I am not saying something that's on my mind, they're going to know, and then they're going to like feel weird and they're not going to know why. And then they're going to like go into something. And the, the thing about Pisces is like, it's a vibe and we all get vibes and it's not just people who were born in the season of Pisces. Happy birthday, Pisces. But, you know, everybody gets vibes. And Pisces has a lot of ways that it acts in the chart. And everyone's chart has Pisces in it. So you get vibes too. And I know you do. (laughs) And so that is what I'm talking about. That's this essence right now. So as uh, the sun moves into Pisces, this part in all of our charts is getting illuminated. And if you happen to know your rising sign, then you'll know also where Pisces is in your chart, what house it rules. And in that area of life for the next 29 days, there's um, energy. There's the solar energy, there's this uh, warmth and heat and attention and expression and experience. So notice vibes. And if you know where Pisces is in your chart, then check that place out. Well, Pisces has some pretty interesting stuff going on in it currently and ongoing for a pretty long time. And the first thing to say about Pisces at the moment is that It is occupied by the planet Neptune, and this is a a long occupation. Neptune has a pretty long orbit. It's a little over 150 years, and so it's in any given sign for about 14 years. And Neptune entered Pisces in 2011, and it will leave the sign in 2026. So that's a long freaking time to be somewhere, and that's pretty much a natal placement, um, in terms of its effect. So for this entire 14 years, Neptune is activating some part of your chart. And of course, you have your natal Neptune wherever it is, and maybe it's in dialogue with transit Neptune right now. But 
we will not experience Neptune in all parts of our chart throughout our lives because we don't live that long. Um, And so you will never experience Neptune in Pisces again, uh, unless somehow we discover immortality, um, you know, before you get to whatever it is that you're going to die before then, because you won't otherwise. Um, So what's Neptune? Neptune is the modern ruler of Pisces. And when I say ruler, what I mean is that as a planet, it is an actor. It's an agent of Piscean energy. And it's also like the ruler of Pisces. So if you think of Pisces as a place, like the place of vibes, then Neptune is the goddess of Pisces or the queen or the god or the genderless being that rules it and makes the rules of the place of Pisces. So Neptune is a pretty interesting figure, and I've been learning more about Neptune these last couple weeks as I've been researching for this podcast and the monthly planner and thinking a lot about what its significance is. And, you know, learning about astrology and myth from a queer and feminist space is you know, it's, it's like a lot of reading and then spending time trying to unpack what I've read and not take it at face value. So Neptune is the god of the seas in Western mythology, and it's related to Poseidon, uh, Poseidon, I'm not quite sure how you say it, um, in Roman mythology and uh, all over the world, different languages call this planet the name that they associate to the god of the seas um, or the sea monster. Like, uh, you know, in Hebrew, it's Rahab, which is the sea monster. So we have this figure that is somehow in rulership in a place that is totally not where we live as human beings. You know, we think about our life as humans. We are terrestrial beings. We live on the earth. And though there are definitely some people out there who love the water, who live on boats, who are scuba diving and snorkeling all the time, they still don't live in the water. And the ocean is a weird fucking place. And there are all kinds of creatures down there that don't really make sense. Like an octopus, you know, like what the hell is an octopus? And This kind of strange place is also the place where things disappear, like the ocean swallows islands and continents, maybe, or cities like Atlantis, and people sail out to sea and never come back, and the ocean makes people crazy, and it also instills this longing and love, and it has this romanticness to it, and it's so vast that I can't comprehend it, and I don't know if you can either, because it's too fucking big like to comprehend, like how big is the ocean? You know, it's big. And it's also a collecting place. And so we know about like this island of trash that's in the ocean now, or we know about how um, plastics break down and there are these tiny little beads of plastic in the ocean water. And so you, you don't get fresh salt anymore. You get like ocean salt with plastic in it. You can't separate it out. And everything goes into the ocean. You know, everything is going to end up there in terms of our um, ecosystem. And 
because the ocean collects water and water is everywhere and water is picking up all these particles and micro particles in the air and on the earth, everything's going to end up in the ocean. And then the ocean is also the birthplace of all life, right? Like, so if you think about human uh, evolution and where we've come from as a species, like originally we came from the ocean, we crawled out of the ocean with, um, you know, whatever our bodies looked like at the time, like one hole in and one hole out and maybe like some legs, like these tubular structures or bacterial structures or whatever the fuck. And the ocean is also the lungs of the planet along with the Amazon and the forests. The ocean breathes. And it's one of the ways that the planet is cleaning its air, our air that we breathe. So the ocean is a whole lot of things. And of course, our bodies are related to the ocean. We're some 70% water and there's salt in our bodies. And we were formed first in an ocean, you know, as beings that were embryos at one time and spent the first nine months or so of our lives in this inner ocean. Um, The ocean is so many different things. And the ocean itself is a metaphor. And it's often a metaphor for dreams. And it's often also a metaphor for love. And it's often a metaphor for God. Um, And it can definitely be a metaphor for art. And it certainly inspires a lot of art. So what rules that? What kind of entity rules that? I have my own sense of that kind of entity. And Neptune as a mythic figure is maybe one embodiment of that entity. Neptune um, has a lot of stories about eating cities or like taking taking lands and particularly taking lands from goddesses in Neptune's myths. And I'm curious about where Neptune came from, because of course we know that astrology as a language that is rooted in the Greek and the Roman traditions in terms of Western astrology, but came from the Middle East, came from Babylonian and Sumerian and Mesopotamian myths, which also came from somewhere. Um, So we have centuries and cycles of appropriation, um, which is basically sharing, right? It's like, oh, I learned something there and now I'm going to adopt it because it makes sense in my framework and I'm going to start using it in my framework. Um, And this is happening forever. So there's that. But then there's also the appropriation that happens when cultures or places, nations are overthrown. And I don't know, maybe Neptune is also um, the sea goddess or an embodiment of Oshun or another figure that I don't know who their name is, but someone that, you know, that, that comes from somewhere else that has to do with the ocean, that has to do with the rulership of some space that is... Um, not of this earth, that is of some other kind of dimension. Anyway, Neptune is in Pisces. This planet that has been named after the god of the seas is now in the seas for 14 years, and it's just about halfway through its transit. And one of the things that I've been interested in as I'm 
um, doing this research for the planners, um, for the journals, and then for this podcast is about cycles, planetary cycles. So um, I'm not a historian at all. I'm like an okay researcher, but kind of impatient about it too. So when I say these things, like I'm not trying to come from a perspective of like, oh, I'm an authority on this. Like I, I'm definitely not. So I, I totally welcome your feedback. If you're a person who is a historian or, or you happen to know about this period, or you happen to be an expert on Neptune or something, if you have anything to share, I'm really open ears for that. But one of the things that I think is super fascinating about astrology is being able to look back at cycles and to see how something works over time. And so again, if you're um, a subscriber, you get these monthly journals and it's a really good way to start to track what's going on in your life and then relate it to astrology, Um, which you would do on kind of a micro level, like with the moon or Mercury, they travel really fast. Neptune's traveling really slow. So we need to look all the way back at the previous cycles of Neptune. And I only looked at the most previous, which was 1847 to 1862. So I didn't know really anything or nothing popped up in my head, I should say, when I heard those words. As I was looking back at Wikipedia and the internet, um, I a little bit of my you know history classes forever ago were popping up. But um, some of the things that were going on in 1847 to 1862, there was this thing called uh, the Revolution of 1848, or the Revolutions, and there was a rise of nationalist movements throughout Europe. So in Germany, Italy, Hungary, Ireland, and Serbia, um, there was this rise of nationalism. Um, basically, people who were inspired kind of by an idealized past and they were seeking independence for their nations and they wanted to be sovereign. And, and there was this big movement there and it didn't work. It turned into something else, but that movement, this idea of like, Oh, the past is a very Neptunian and it's a very Piscean because Pisces relates to loss. And when we're on the brink of losing something, there's always the grasping, there's always the nostalgia and the longing. And this is such a Piscean thing as to be nostalgic, to go, oh God, it was so perfect then. Or to be nostalgic for the future, like, oh, it will be so perfect when, but it's a discontent in the now. And the now is a state of change. It always is. So it's not surprising that now during Neptune's transit through Pisces, we have another rise of nationalism throughout the world, right? Of of people all over the world basically going like, we need to close our borders. We can't change. We can't mix. And this is the direction that evolution is going is towards mixture and change, which is very Pisces as well, right? This kind of melding, everybody coming into the same thing. Our human populations are massive, You know, borders actually don't make sense at this time on earth. They literally like don't make any fucking sense. We shouldn't have them. We should be citizens of the earth. Um, But it's so much for so many people to let go of the idea of what once was, which is not necessarily true because we definitely glorify and romanticize the past. And then we tell stories about it that are totally based in fiction, like the, the MAGA thing, like make America great again, um, you know, is based in the fiction of 
whiteness and white supremacy. Like, let's make America great again. Let's get back to the time when white people got to just step on the backs of black and brown people and take all their labor and all their money and all their fun and all their health and then abuse them for our own entertainment. Basically, you know, make America great again. No, fuck that. We need to move on. People are waking up. They don't want to do that anymore. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for white people. You know, it's really not good for white people to do that. Like you might have more money, but you're filled with soul sickness. So we we have to move on into something else. And there's this clutching and there's this grasping. So nationalism, something that is related to Neptune and Pisces. Um, In 1948, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels published the Communist Manifesto, which I've only, I've read like parts of it. Um, Maybe you've read more. And that was two years after Neptune's discovery. And so the rise of socialism and the birth of the quote unquote welfare state is also happening at that time. And Neptune and Pisces both manifest as like altruism and sensitivity to humanity's suffering and need, as well as this romanticism. So, you know, when I'm talking about the different aspects of of Pisces and then Neptune as Pisces agent or its ruler, um, there's a lot of them, like there's a lot of different kinds of associations. So on the one hand, we might have glorification or romanticization of something that is about um, maintaining, like I can't let that go, I can't lose that. And then on the other hand, we might also have something that's about helping other people. And they're often not the same thing, but they can also go together, especially when the ideas get conflated and we're like, oh, back then it was better, let me help you by giving you the thing that was good for me. And that kind of like charity idea is very Piscean. And so the, this idea of the welfare state and the idea of socialism to me feels like a charity idea. It's not necessarily based and grounded in compassion or actual connection. It's a mental project. And of course, what we saw is that just like any other system, there are egotistic leaders who take more for themselves and people who are hired to the top, you know, get more than other people. And then a lot of people suffer. So it's kind of the same bullshit, but different name, different system. And really what, what Pisces can teach is deep compassion and oneness but in order to do to do oneness, it's like we have to also do the work of recognizing difference because people are coming from really different places and they need different things. So this is happening. Now, as I'm recording this, um, there's this thing that's happening in the United States, which is that this party, like the Democratic Socialists, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez is like one of these people. Bernie Sanders is another of them um, have put this new bill um, forward called the Green New Deal. And it's basically this radical um, proposition of turning the United States economy green and like really boosting sustainable energy, getting off fossil fuels completely, like dropping the carbon emissions, but then also because environmental justice cannot be separated from social justice, um, there's a lot in here about equity and kind of working for social welfare. Now, 
this bill is going to require 51 votes to pass. And um, it probably won't get that since the Congress has 53 Republicans in office um, and they probably none of them will vote on it. But it it is some kind of momentum and it is a new idea that's coming forward. So I'm, I'm kind of curious about the way that this particular transit is bringing these themes back around. And of course, now we're in the 2000s and not in the 1840s. And so there's a different perspective that we can come from when it comes to how do we share with one another. We've evolved. And hopefully um, there are more people who are awake to like feelings and shadow work. and um, I don't know, like intersectionality and the need for diverse leadership and checks and balances and stuff like that. Like we could, we could do another iteration and, and maybe it'll be better. Um, and it's interesting to note really that in the last cycle of Neptune through Pisces, capitalism and communism were both kind of born into the, our, our worldviews. So um, communism was born with the, the Socialist Manifesto. And then in the United States, um, the U.S. government was uh, like pursuing this policy that maybe you've heard of called Manifest Destiny, which is basically this idea that the North American continent should be colonized like by white people, that it was divinely sanctioned. And, um, and it was totally right. It was completely necessary. And, and we needed to like go out and be free and be glorious and be brave and like take this land from Native Americans, which is what the United States government did. And it basically, Manifest Destiny was basically a genocidal campaign against Native Americans. It left over 55 million people dead and reduced the Native populations by 90 to 95% which is fucking insane. And about a hundred years later, Hitler took a lot of these like ideas that had been so much a part of manifest destiny, as well as, um, as, as slavery and, um, what was happening kind of around the same time with the United States, um, uh, abolishing slavery, quote unquote, but, also then starting to institute other policies to keep black people from ever actually achieving any kind of like economic equity or social equity. Anyway, this is what was happening in the United States. And so this idea of like capitalist exploitation and expansion, which is, you know, capitalism is racist, racist kind of at its root is also happening at the same time as across the pond in Europe, there's the birth of socialism and neither one works, right? Like neither one works. But that was the last time (laughs) Neptune was in Pisces. And so, um, you know, now we have Trump and his wall and this big question about, you know, what are we going to do in terms of reparation um, to people of African descent, to people of native descent? What are we going to do about people who are coming you know, who've been, been here for a long time, who are native and indigenous to this place in the, in the southern part of the states, um, and then people that have come from Mexico and other parts of Central America and South America, and, you know, now are so greatly a part of the labor of this country and the wealth of this country. Like, what are we going to do? Well, maybe the Green New Deal has something. 
So I don't know, follow that. That'll be interesting to see how that plays out with Neptune. Um, let's see. So yeah, I don't know. I have some notes about how the taking of land, wealth, and women is characteristics of, of Neptune's Greek counterpart, Poseidon. Anyway, these ideas of right, like rightness um, is, is not only characteristic of Pisces. Um, it's also very much an aspect of Sagittarius. And Sagittarius and Pisces both share the classical ruler, Jupiter, Um, So this idea of like, I have the answer and I'm going to save you or save other people is, as I was saying before about Pisces kind of humanitarian instincts is one of the ways that it falls out. Um, And I just want to say again, that when I'm saying these things, I am not talking about Pisces sun people. I'm talking about an energy that exists that we all have access to and that we all are affected by. So I hope that's clear. Um, Another thing that I thought was really interesting was that in 1948, the first women's rights convention uh, took place in Seneca Falls, New York. And this was a convention that was organized around the suffrage movement. So early first wave feminists, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and, and Lucretia Mott organized it. And basically they're trying to get women the right to vote. And these uh, early feminists, um, had a kind of momentary alliance with uh, abolitionists, Frederick Douglass being one of them. And, and for a minute, they worked together. And there was this idea that, you know, they, they both had this common need to uh, c- claim equality from white men and that if they could vote, then they could somehow, you know, have more equality and um, get to have a voice in the democracy, Right. But um, as it happens, uh, the, these women, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and um, Susan B. Anthony, oh, another one that a lot of people know, were totally racist and didn't follow through with the agreements that they had made um, to help out black people and people who were seeking to seek um, in, uh, freedom from enslavement. So that ended up in a mess, but um, in 1948, they gave this, uh, had this convention, and at the convention, Sojourner Truth gave her speech, Look at Me, Ain't I a Woman, that you've probably read quotes of here and there. And she was the only black woman speaking at the convention and the only woman speaking who'd been held in slavery. So you can imagine like now if there was a convention and a whole bunch of women getting together to be like, well, we really want to do this thing. And then there's like one gal there who's really been through some shit. I mean, at least for me, I would be like, okay, she's the keynote. She's going to be the one who's going to tell us all what we need to do. And everybody else, like, shut up and listen to her because if she's here speaking, she knows something. But as it went, you know, her her speech garnered a lot of attention, but it didn't do the thing that it was supposed to do, which was basically point out that she was a woman, but she was a black woman and her needs were not just to get the right to vote so that she could have equality with white men. Her needs were to get equality for her people, for black people, so that they weren't shit on all the time and uh, kept in states of slavery and indentured servitude. And that wasn't understood. Um, So 
Funny enough, in 2016, um, Hillary Clinton ran in the U.S. presidential election, and she did actually win the popular vote, which a lot of people seem to forget. She won the popular vote by 3 million votes, but she lost the election because of what is called the Electoral College, which is this like archaic, stupid thing that still exists and shouldn't exist, um, but it basically gives people in rural like very low population places, a lot more voting power than people in urban high population places. Anyway, so because of the electoral college and people who live in the middle of nowhere who have never been around uh, a diverse group of people and who watch Fox News, like they voted Donald Trump in. And on January 21st, 2017, which was the day after he was inaugurated, there was a 2017 Women's March, which was the largest single-day protest in history, which is pretty awesome. There were women's marches all over the world of people protesting Donald Trump and misogyny and war and a whole lot of stuff. But there were also a lot of these pink pussy hats and this idea of like, oh, because we're all women and because Donald Trump made these disparaging comments about women and he's such a misogynist and such a sexist, then like this is the thing that we're fighting for. And at least the initial organization of the Women's March did not have enough leadership. And by that, I, I mean like they didn't really have enough. They didn't have any or, or like close to any, um, by women of color. So then there was like this criticism, more women of color came into leadership, but there was like this whole drama around it. And, um, a lot of issues that, that came up at that time that I think were very shocking to a lot of white women and not shocking to a lot of women of color, because the truth is, is that, and I am totally guilty of this. Like I went through a good portion of my life, like thinking kind of like a third wave feminist, you know, like, okay, like we're, we're women and we're fighting for these things. And, um, like I knew about intersectionality. I didn't have the word for it, but it wasn't until reading Angela Davis, women, race and class that I understood why there was such tension between white feminists and feminists of color. Um, who may prefer a different name than feminist. But if you haven't read that book, you should read that book. It, it really outlines in a very clear way the ways that white women have sought to use the platforms of other social advocacy, ad, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? So, uh, social activism and civil rights labor uh, for themselves. But then when push comes to shove, um, they, they sell out, you know, when it's politically expedient for them to sell out, then they sell out and that this has happened again and again. So this is also something that, that came up, um, in the Neptune cycles. And I'm interested about that because of how Pisces and Neptune both signify oneness. And there's this idea that, especially if you've ever like gone to a yoga class or bought a Hallmark card that like you're familiar with, which is this like, oh, one love and bliss and like, la la la, like we're going to get to this place where we're so evolved and we're all one. And that feels really awesome. Except how are we going to do that when 
there's not any basic awareness that we're not coming from the same place. And especially for people, many of whom are in white female bodies who've been very protected through their lives. And I know gals like that to be a woman is to face a lot of oppression um, and sexism. And, and it's really frustrating. And there's a lot of fear in femininity and in being in a female body. And that's so real. And we internalize so much. And our people um, were some of the first people to be colonized. White women were some of the first people to be, or, or women of European descent were some of the first people to be colonized. Our, our herbalists, our root workers, our witches, our midwives. These were some of the first people to be um, sold, you know, bought and sold and killed and persecuted and um, driven underground and into a space of forgetting their heritage. That is all true. And to live in, in a white female body, especially if you are, you know, of, of like middle class it is to be in one of the more protected categories, at least in the Western world. It's like people give you a lot of benefit of the doubt. So if you happen to be coming from this space, this lived experience space, and then you are a person who genuinely is like on a spiritual path, you want to help people, you believe in one love and like you have experiences where you're like oh my god we're all the same like you've got compassion that's all true and like I think we've you know most people have been there of like having some experience where you realize the skin and the superficial identity is superficial and what's on the inside is this complex and and vast space of beingness that is you know every being is totally unique to every other being. And then we're all in some ways the same. Like we all share the experience of being in a terrestrial form, in a life form. And that sameness is is true. And so we do all, it's like we all need love. But in terms of, of what our lives center around, we're coming from very different places. And so the thing that a lot of, of white people and definitely white women have, have done, which is this kind of like blanketing of like, oh, we're all the same or I don't see color, um, is actually incredibly damaging. And it's not helpful. Like it's not helpful for, for our cause. <laughs> if we want to get to a place where we can all love each other, it's like we also need to be able to hold space to hear about the differences and to hear about where we haven't listened or we've hurt someone or something like that. And anyway, I'm glad that this is all coming up uh, again now because it does seem like there's a lot of work that's now being done on it. And I know my own experience. I have so many fabulous white female friends who are doing such wonderful work in themselves and in their communities to dismantle racism, to unpack whiteness, to work with their own privilege, to, to share, to heal. I have so many fabulous uh, friends of color who are doing the same work around building bridges and working to understand and get through this fucking brainwashing of, of white supremacy and race prejudice. So um, here we are in uh, 2019 with this. And then finally, one last thing that Neptune and Pisces was doing um, back in the 1840s, 
um, in the last half of the 1800s was that spiritualism um, was developing and it reached its peak. And spiritualism is a form of spiritual practice that um, I don't I don't know if it's religion or not, but it's basically like people believe that there um, is life after death and that spirits exist and that they're present and that they're around and that they have the ability and the desire to communicate with us. And um, that because they're now in spirit form, that they're a lot more knowledgeable than we are. And particularly when it comes to like moralism or, or ethics and the nature of God. And so speaking to spirits is good for us because they can help us, they can guide us, they can give us information, they can help us connect to our own divinity. And um, spiritualism is accessible uh, through divination. And so people were holding seances and they were talking to spirits and they were channeling spirits. And that was also happening when Neptune was in Pisces the last time around. And I think it's so cool that now, since 2011, like there has been a boom in witchcraft and tarot and astrology and mediumship and all other kinds of divination and like, uh, you know, indigenous practices and plant medicine, like all coming back. And, and so many people are like talking to their spirits and talking to their ancestors and talking to God and having these direct experiences of spiritual connection and sacred connection. And, um, Neptune and Pisces are this, it's like, okay, the way that I really like to think about Pisces is that it is reality. It's the actual reality in the sense that the thing that we call reality, like the forms that we touch, that's unreality. Actual reality is everything is changing all of the time. There is no fixed space. Um, anything that's in a material form is just there for a moment and then it's changing again. And that's real. That's the actual reality. And there's this, um, passage in one of the, um, Carlos Castaneda books, you know, where he's working with Don Juan's character. Um, and I, I don't really remember exactly the words and I'm going to get it wrong, but it's, it's basically like, you know, all here that that is in existence, the, our bodies, our identities, like the earth, um, any objects, like this, it doesn't actually exist. The material realm is here for us as a tool to work through to see what we can manifest with our energy. And the manifestation is, is like the dream, you know, it's like, Ooh, it's like how you're in a dream. And then you think about something and then all of a sudden you're somewhere else. It's like, that's kind of reality. Um, because that's what we're doing all the time. Like we think about things and then we make them so, but then the problem is, is that then we think that those things are real. So we like, we're like, Oh, I really want a relationship. And then we get into a relationship and we're like, okay, now I'm in a relationship. Now this is my identity. Now this thing is going to last. And then eventually it, you know, ends, it has to end at some point, someone's going to die, someone's going to break up or the relationship nature changes. And it's like the relationship doesn't end, but it needs to move on into something else. And then we do that thing you know, that I was talking about before, which is like, oh no, it's going to change. And then we get this quality of Pisces and Neptune that's like graspy and bereft and grieving. 
and addicted, you know, that this is a very strong theme of Pisces and Neptune both is addiction. It's like, you know, I need, I need, I need, I need. Um, but actually, you know, when we tune into what is underneath this material realm, there is just like presence. And that presence, or what one of my teachers calls the quietude, is this vast space of like harmonics. And, and so like something will happen, you know, a voice or a movement, and it'll ripple through, and we'll get this kind of like reverberation through the material. But the space where everything is moving in is like just presence. And this is actually the potential of Pisces. And it's the potential of Neptune is to have a spiritual experience, to have an awakening where it's like, oh, I see none of this is real. And then you get to kind of be in the cosmic joke, in the divine joke, which is like, Everything is temporary. It comes and it goes. And when something is here, you better love it. And that's what I think the possibility of all of our spiritual practices are, really, is to see through the facade and um, unreality (laughs) of reality. All right, so Neptune is in Pisces for a long-ass time. And this year, Jupiter, which is Pisces' other ruler, its traditional ruler, is in the sign Sagittarius, and Jupiter also rules Sagittarius. Yes, I know it's kind of confusing if you're not really versed in this language, but um, these signs have different planetary rulers. So Pisces has two rulers, Jupiter and Neptune. Sagittarius has one ruler, that's Jupiter. And both signs, Pisces and Sagittarius, are mutable. That means they change um, seasons. And when signs are the same quality, like they are both mutable, it means they're 90 degrees apart. So um, that's not entirely true. When <laughs> they're either 90 degrees or 180 degrees apart, they hold what's called a cross. So before when I was talking about the times of year that mark the tropical astrology seasons, the equinoxes and the solstices, um, the seasons right before them are the mutable times. And that's a a cross. It's four times a year. So Jupiter um, and Neptune are doing this thing called square. That means they're 90 degrees from each other um, three times this year. So Jupiter is a little faster moving. So it's, it's making these aspects to Neptune. Um, And the first one already happened. That was January 12th through 16th. And then we'll have two more, um, June 14th through 21st. We'll have a a square. And during that square, um, Neptune is going to turn retrograde during it um, on the 21st. And Jupiter will be retrograde the whole time. And then we'll also have the final square on September 21st. And Neptune will be retrograde for that. But a square aspect is a confrontation, and there's some tension there. Um, And Jupiter in Sagittarius is a lot of information. That's one way to think about it. Sagittarius is a sign that has 
uh, knowledge in it. And so Jupiter there is just like a lot of knowledge and a lot of learning. And it's like our minds are getting really opened this year. We're having a lot of insight coming in. We're, we're exploring meaning making and um, meaning making is so important. Astrology is such a great tool for meaning making. It's like shit is crazy. The world doesn't make sense. So what are, what's the meaning that we're going to make of it? Why am I having these experiences right now? And what do I want to tell myself about them? And especially when it comes to things like, um, war or climate change or our politics, meaning making is really important and understanding our own meaning within the context of what's happening in the collective is super important. And so at these times, we might be doing something or there might be some projects that are happening around us or larger cultural uh, shifts and movements that are like forcing new meanings to be made, or there's this feeling of needing to contend with the massive amount of, of like stuff, you know, Neptune and Pisces, it's like a lot of stuff. It's a lot of feelings, a lot of things to take into account. And there's, you know, it's like, we can't untie things. Um, and then with Jupiter and Sagittarius, we have to make a meaning around it. We have to figure out how we want to um, put something into action or like set a, a course from here. So one example, um, just to kind of bring in what I was just talking about a moment ago, is like thinking about, okay, well, what do we do about racism? Like that's it's just like really confusing, you know, like I think it's confusing for everyone because none of us are responsible for it. And like our parents weren't responsible for it. Neither were their parents, neither were their parents before them. It's like something that has been at work for literally thousands of years and has all of these different manifestations and like ways that it has acted. And, um, when we come to the present, trying to figure out what to do about it is, is like really confusing because we don't really know where we are and we don't quite understand what the thing is. And so there's like a lot of feelings and we've got to figure out what to do about it. So Jupiter then is going to need to make its own meaning about it and we'll need to figure out what its belief systems are. So like for me, I might go, okay, well, I believe that, um, you know, tenderness and transparency are the way forward. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, there's so much, there's so many things. I can't read all the books. I can't like get all the education. I don't, I don't know what to do, but I know that if I like keep showing up and if I really try and, and notice what keeps me from being tender or transparent or listening or showing up. Like if I do that work, then I think maybe I can get somewhere. And that's my belief system. And so that belief system has been inspired by like things that I've read and, and practices that I have, et cetera. And we're all kind of doing this in different places in our lives this year. And it's really going to come into play in your life, especially you know, in these larger themes, but then where, um, Pisces and Sagittarius are in your charts. And so just to give another personal example, like I have Pisces in the eighth house, which is a place where, um, I share resources and I have Jupiter in the fifth house, which is a creative space. And so I'm really excited this year to be teaching this class called elemental economics, where I'm going to be thinking about eighth house issues, money and the exchange of money 
and debt and, and like the feelings that we have about money, but I'm doing it in like a creative teaching way. And, and Jupiter is a teacher and it feels like an art project to think about economics in this way. So there's some kind of challenge to figure out like how to take action, how to put something into effect, what your belief systems are with all of this stuff of Neptune in Pisces. And then also, um, this year we have another aspect of Saturn sextile Neptune. And this is kind of happening a a little bit coinciding with Jupiter squaring Neptune. And it's really nice that it's coinciding because Saturn sextile Neptune is a, is a really grounding and stabilizing aspect. Um, Saturn is transiting Capricorn and all year, um, it's moving into conjunction with Pluto. And I talked about that in, um, two podcasts ago when I did the 2019 forecast. So if you want more info on that, listen there. But um, Saturn sextile to Neptune is like, okay, I've got all these dreams and there's all this stuff, but I can actually stabilize. I can do something. I can build something. I don't need to handle everything, but I can do something. And I can do something maybe kind of well, or like efficiently, you know, which is what Saturn wants to do. So January 27th through 31st was the first sextile. June 16th through 28th um, is also the period when Neptune will station retrograde and Saturn will already be retrograde. And then in November, the 9th through the 10th, Saturn, uh, Neptune will be retrograde. Um, But so we have these kind of concurrent uh, aspects where there's like, a, a kind of an overwhelm feeling and then like, okay, I can do something with it. So that's great for working with this uh, Piscean energy this year. Now, um, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to go into Mercury retrograde and I'm going to be talking about that next. Um, but I just wanted to to mention it a little bit um, because it's coming up and it's affecting Pisces particularly right now. So from... Um, Let's see, from March, I uh, don't have it right in front of me. So from March um, 5th through the 27th, I think, um, we have uh, Mercury retrograde. Um, Yeah, March 5th through 28th, Mercury is retrograde. Um, And so this is happening during Pisces season, but Mercury is also retrograde in Pisces. So right now, because Mercury is in its shadow, or about to be, the sign of Pisces is really infused with this kind of like extra wonky, weird energy of Mercury retrograde, which is when the mind turns in on itself. And in astrology, Mercury is a symbol of the mind and the cognitive process. And when it's retrograde, it's like we're turning around and looking at our own thoughts, which if you've studied yoga or meditation, this is a goal. Like this is a thing you're trying to do is look at your own thoughts and and turn the mind in on itself and go, okay, what is the function of mind? And I'm excited for this Mercury retrograde because I feel like it's very powerful in Pisces because this is Pisces question all the time is what is the function of mind? Because mind is the illusion. You know, it's like we're here in this temporal space but then we're telling stories about it and we're putting language around it. And then we think things are real and then we get hung up on them, but that's all happening in the mind. What's actually happening around us is just life. 
you know, it's literally like just life just happening, you know, molecules doing their thing. And then human beings are like, okay, so I have this schedule and I have this job and I have all these things and I'm so important and da, 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 da. And like, that's just us telling stories. That's just us tripping out in our, in our mentalness. So the next couple of weeks, we've got Mercury retrograde in Pisces. And this is a great space to feel and to be with your feelings and to notice what your mind does with the sensation of your feelings and how it tells stories about it and meditate. And meditation does not, by the way, need to be you sitting on a cushion for 25 minutes. It's like it can happen for 30 seconds while you're like waiting for your toast to pop up. It's just like check in. You know, are you breathing? How do you like what's going on? Are you drifting off into la la land and put down your fucking phone i'm saying that to myself okay not you like renee put down your fucking phone stop looking at it stop being so distracted you know we're so distracted it's like what is the nature of mind it's it's to jump around from one thing to the next and we've got these technology devices that really exacerbate that and like we're here in this living breathing planet All right, so I'm going to talk about Mercury retrograde a little bit more um, in the last section where I'm going to go through the um, upcoming um, month ahead for Pisces. But before I do that, I want to do a reading for this full moon chart. Just got to take a sip of my tea first. All right, so I'm going to do a reading for the full moon chart. I've got it up right here. Um, The full moon for Portland, Oregon will happen at 7.53 in the morning on um, Tuesday, the 19th of February. So do the math to figure out where that happens for you. Um, But Pisces is rising um, in this full moon chart. And the sun, of course, is right in the first degree of Pisces. And Pisces is also occupied by um, Nessus, which is a centaur planet, conjunct the asteroid Vesta, and then Mercury, which is conjunct Neptune on the day of the full moon. And then, of course, the moon, which is at the first degree of Virgo in a trine with Mars in very early Taurus. So this is kind of an exciting chart. What does it all mean? The sun moving into Pisces um, is what I've been talking about. So for the next 29 days, we have an illumination of Pisces and the sun is bringing our awareness to certain things. So certain things are happening in Pisces right now and um, we're going to touch off on them. But first, what is a full moon? A full moon is the opposition between the sun and the moon and it's basically the balance of two polarized signs, um, Pisces and Virgo. And so now this is another shout out to people in the Southern Hemisphere who may be experiencing the Virgo part of this polarity a little bit more right now. Virgo is harvest season. And um, in Pisces, it's the season when all of the seeds start to get really wet uh, so that they're going to grow. So that maybe some of them are starting to sprout, but a lot of them are just like, they're getting really wet and heat is starting to come up and their little like inner plant bodies are like, Ooh, it's time to grow. They're getting ready. Um, Pisces relates to the period of life that is gestation as well as death (laughs) after death. You know, it's like where you come from and where you go back to. And Virgo is what you do. You know, what do you do every day? 
and it's your body and it's how you take care of your immediate environment. And in the season, it's like, okay, this thing has grown. What am I going to do with it? And I think of Virgo as um, plant life, kind of like in general, um, as an earth quality. It's the way that nature organizes itself into different forms. And like you'll find these symbiotic relationships of this plant growing next to that plant because they take care of each other somehow, or this insect living here because it pollinates that plant over there, da-da-da. And Virgo as a, a feeling, as an energy, is very committed to service and it's incredibly humble. And this is important um, because Pisces can get very overblown um, and it can also lose itself. And so Virgo, its opposite sign is really practical. It's like, you know what? Here I am. I'm one person. This is the amount of work that I can do. These are my jobs, blah, blah, blah. What are we going to do next? And when I think of Virgo, I think of bhakti. And bhakti is a word that you might know from your yoga practice. It is devotion. It's uh, when, as a translation, it's devotion. And it's like joyful. Like there's nothing else that I want to be doing except for this, except for this sacred service and taking care of this beautiful place. And with the full moon, um, we're kind of entering into the second part of the lunar cycle, which is the disseminating cycle. And we're moving towards the new moon in Pisces, which I'll talk about um, in a couple of minutes. But this is like something gets realized. And a question to bring into your full moon uh, moments is, what am I serving? Because your actions every day build up over time and they mean something. And they don't mean everything, they mean something. So like I have this practice where I go hike on this trail like a lot of days and I pick up small pieces of trash and it doesn't make any difference, right? Like when it comes to world pollution and stuff like that, like it doesn't matter that I just picked up this gum wrapper. It's not going to do a damn thing. But it's like this, this gesture of there's just this like repetition of labor of like, if I just, if I just pick up what I can, and if everybody just picks up what they can, then something could happen. And what am I in service to? And where will I humble myself to serve? Um, you know, when, when we stop cleaning our toilets and cleaning our floors and brushing our kids hair, like we lose touch, we lose track of our humanity and Virgo is a sign that does not want you to lose track. What are you in service to? Like, what's the point of your life? What are you doing with it? Um, is a question of the full moon. And being of service is can be a lot of different things. But it doesn't have to be drudgery. And it certainly doesn't have to be slavery. It can be a joyful, willing, sacred act. And Virgo is associated in my mind with Vesta, and I'm going to talk about Vesta next. Um, but Vesta is this goddess of this, the sacred hearth, of the sacred flame. And she's a virgin goddess, quote unquote, be, not because she hasn't had sex, but because she's not married to a man. She's like married to the life force. And said she's married to a man is ringing in my head. She's not married. She's not partnered. <laughs> she's partnered with the life force. And that's what she's serving. 
So a question to bring into your full moon, what are you serving? Now, um, Vesta is in Pisces and Vesta is conjunct the centaur planet Nessus. And Nessus has um, a mythology that has to do with rape and also with um, what happens, I think, to the feminine, um, which is not just women, but like anyone who's receptive at all and then gets taken advantage of, maybe it could be in this role, um, what happens to that person and how their pain is internalized, how it can't be spoken about, how like they kind of might lose power in a particular situation. And Vesta is there. And they're um, both kind of in early Pisces at eight and nine degrees. And so one thing that I'm thinking of right now is just attending to wounding and attending to the places in ourselves that have been hurt and that have also hurt other people. Um, and I think that it doesn't, you, you, ha, you don't necessarily need to have literally raped someone to um, experience the essence of that energy. And rape as an act is theft, right? Like it's stealing something from someone that isn't given, you know, it's, there's no consent. <laughs> so all of us have stolen something. And what is it to like violate another person's property, their sovereignty, their um, humanness and take something for yourself just because you want it in that moment? And what is it to have had that experience happen to you? And I think that we all carry a lot of these stories. And so when I see um, these two in this place of the full moon and then this question of like, what is it that you're serving? This is a question that comes up for me, especially with Pisces all the time, which is like, what are we holding on to? And how can we heal and attend to these kinds of wounds and really look at um, where they come from? And the fact that on the day of... um, Pisces beginning, Chiron is moving into Aries, and I'll get to there in a bit. Like This is a really powerful symbol, I think, of really recognizing how we carry wound patterns, and we are both the victims and the perpetrators of wounding. Most of us have had both experiences on both sides, and they may have not been equal, and I don't know, but it's like we're both, we're both. So that's one thing that's coming up for me. And then with um, Mercury conjunct Neptune in Pisces, we have this really dreamy space. And Mercury is, um, again, it's the mind and it is just infused with this Neptunian Pisces energy. So the day of the full moon is a super dreamy day. Um, It could definitely be kind of a confusing day. It's the day that Mercury enters... Um, what's called its shadow. Um, I'm just making sure that that's true, that Mercury enters its shadow. Yeah, on the 20th, the day um, after the full moon. So things are really wonky and full moons often, like they feel really wonky and this full moon feels like, woohoo, like, I don't know, it could be real fun. Like, especially if you're, a creator, if you're a musician, if you're a dancer, if you're a poet, like just be in your dream space, your creative space. Um, With Mars in early Taurus and the moon trying to Mars, um, potentially this is like a really sexy, earthy, sensual day. 
Um, and that could be really nice. And it could definitely be a day when like you get a lot of downloads, but it could also be a day when things are just feeling pretty out there. Um, and then given that it's like president's day and a president is so fucking weird and things are really weird. And I don't know, this Chiron thing, we'll see, we'll see. Um, but that's kind of an interesting aspect in the chart. And, um, Other than that, what am I noticing in this chart that feels important? There's this ongoing square, which I already talked about, between Jupiter and Neptune. But at the time of the full moon, Jupiter is right up at the heaven of the chart, and it's exactly squared the ascendant. And so the feeling that I have with this is like very much about moving into our beliefs and opening up um, new and expansive like ways to experience our life, like really allowing patterns to shift and to let go and seeing the dream for what it is and kind of like letting this veil come off. And so this dreamy quality of the day kind of feels like that of seeing the dream for what it is and seeing the unreality uh, fluctuating around us and this, this movement into, um, what I feel like is kind of more about wholeness and healing and recognizing the places where we've, we've stolen and been separated uh, from ourselves and starting to bring them back into accord with one another and doing that kind of healing work. So if you're a person who, um, you know, and especially in the last couple of days with this Mars Uranus conjunction, if you're someone who's been noticing like a lot of old patterns bubbling up or angst or like feeling like, Oh God, like I'm really ready to change, but I'm holding on to these things. And like, maybe I'm not ready or I'm so fucked up and like, I'll never be able to change or something like that. Um, I don't think that's true. I, you know, it's like, just, uh, don't go, don't try and get, uh, from zero to 60 in a second be really present with yourself. Like this is such an important part of doing healing work is that we're just present with the sensations as they arise, but that we're also not giving a lot of weight to any individual sensation. And so if something comes up and it's like, wow, that story, that's really painful. That spot is really hard. Hold it. And then like allow it to continue to move on, allow it to continue to express. And that doesn't mean be completely objective and detached and non-feeling. It's more like let things arise and notice them for what they are and notice how they affect you. As I said before, notice what your mind does with sensation watch the mental process and then see what happens in your body and how your body wants to align around identification and then like let it slide out. And this is a really good time to be doing work with, um, you know, these, I don't know, like I, I, I keep kind of coming back to this story around theft and, uh, violation because I feel like it's really, it's like, this is something that like we need to feel, we need to feel it for one another. We need to feel it for the earth. We need to feel it for ourselves that it's like, we really want to, um, like use (laughs) what we have wisely and ask for consent and be in right relationship in our exchanges. That is going to be such a healing practice for all of us to like ask permission to feel that, when we grant permission, it's respected. When we don't, it's also respected that it's not going to create these rifts. It's like that we can have 
the boundaries that we need, that we can ask for what we need, and that we can do this work together. Um, and it's not always easy. It can be really messy work to try and like ask for what you need or put or have a boundary or something like that. But ideally we're, we're doing it together. And so, you know, we can go through those moments where it's like, Oh my God, um, I feel so awkward and I don't know how to ask for this. And instead of using my words, I'm just crying. Uh, and then we can just like appreciate each other and kind of like let it softly roll out. Um, that's my hope for this, for this full moon and for the energy that it's bringing. And so this is the halfway point between new moon and new moon. We're moving from the new moon in Aquarius, which is definitely a conceptual new moon into the new moon in Pisces, um, in a couple of weeks. And that new moon is something that I'm really excited about and I'm going to get into it now. Um, so in this last section, I'm going to be talking about the month ahead and there's a lot going on in the month ahead. Um, and if you are listening to all of this and you're like, wow, that's a lot of information. And those are a lot of words. I sure wish that I could look at something. Um, you can just get your embodied astrology monthly journal and you can have this whole month ahead, um, written out for you. So you can have like all the daily aspects that I'm just about to talk about. And then you get this whole calendar thing with the aspects listed and places to write down. And then you also get a printed version of uh, me talking about Pisces and Neptune. Some of the same stuff that I just talked about some other stuff. And you can get that for any amount per month. If you donate from a dollar to $100 or more, if you want to donate more per month, um, it's all welcome. And I'm so grateful to the people who support me month to month because it allows me to live with a little bit more consistency and stability in my life. And I cannot even tell you like how meaningful that is. Um, for me, uh, and I think it's true for a lot of people, I just grew up in a very financially precarious um, family and situation. And just like knowing that I'm going to like make this amount every month because I've always been self-employed and I've rarely known, whew, it feels amazing to like just know that, okay, I'm going to be able to pay my bills. So thank you for being a monthly donor and Again, donate at any amount per month, you'll get this journal. Okay, so Pisces season begins on Monday, February 18th, when the sun moves into Pisces. But before the sun moves into Pisces, Chiron moves into Aries. And this is a big deal because Chiron is an outer planet. It's a centaur planet. That means that it is not one of the planets that we recognize in our solar system, but it um, where it travels is between the asteroid belt and the Kuiper belt. And it was probably knocked off course by something else at some point. So it has this erratic, irregular orbit. Um, and sometimes it orbits really close to the earth and sometimes it orbits really far away from the earth. Um, or it orbits as close as Saturn does, which isn't really close, but it's definitely within our solar system. And then it orbits all the way out into Uranus's orbit. So it links the pathways between 
Uranus and Saturn. And basically what it is then is a bridge between the Uranian like off-planet revolutionary intelligence of the new, the new age, um, with Saturn, the ways that we can work here on earth. So new ideas, how do we bring them onto the planet and make them real? And Chiron was discovered in the 1970s, and it was discovered um, kind of at a time when psychology was really blowing up in terms of a, a field and a form, and a lot of people were starting to develop psychological language. And Chiron as a mythic figure relates to um, this being that was a centaur, half man, half horse, uh, which in and of itself is an archetype for, you know, the the ways that we are always needing to navigate between our animal selves and our human slash alien selves. Like we have these instincts, these animal bodies, and then we have this weird intelligence that can manifest and build things and like ideate in strange ways that take us off of the earth. And that's our gift. And it's also our biggest problem. And I think that Chiron is... Uh, you know, it's, it's glyph is like a little key. And so I think that one of the things that Chiron does is it gives us keys. It gives us clues for living on earth and it helps us make sense of the ways that we get caught between our animal instincts and our human instincts. And I think that Chiron has a definitely a psychological function in that what it does is it forces us to learn about our pain and learn about our suffering. And Chiron's uh, namesake, this this dude, this centaur named Chiron, um, was this amazing medic and philosopher. And he, um, there's this really famous story about him um, making this poison um, that he, that he gave to his student called Hercules. And Hercules dipped his arrow in it, and then this battle happened, and an arrow went astray and hit Chiron in the knee. And then Chiron had to. Um, try and heal himself, which he couldn't do. But he traveled all around the world and like studied and studied and in the process became this amazing healer for other people, but he couldn't ever figure out what to do about his own pain. And so this idea that like we have these things that are painful, like everyone has their thing or their things. And it's like the place where you just always feel wrong and like, you know, you're just wretched and, and like, everybody else can do it and you can't do it. And, um, you don't want anyone to look at it and like, fuck, you know, and, and from that place we can do kind of two different things. So one thing that we can do is nurture the pain and make it worse and kind of like smear it on other people. And it's like, God, I suck and I hate myself. And then, you know, and then it's like, however we smear it on other people, whether it's like we try and get other people to play along with the story about how we suck and they hate us too, or then we like hate them because they represent something that we're not or that we are like whatever, you know, but you can smear it on other people and you can make the pain worse. That's one thing you can do with Chiron's energy. Um, and then another thing that you can do is you can learn from it and really try and go into it. And understand how it functions and why it functions. And uh, then you develop this awareness of like, oh, other people have that pain. 
and oh gosh, like that person is hurting in this way that I'm really familiar with and I have something for them. And then Chiron becomes its moniker, which is the wounded healer. And so this passage of, you know, from unconsciousness to consciousness, from a place where we feel really pathological and wretched and unconsciously are perpetuating pain into a space where we have a language, where we have an awareness and where we can then do something about it is the process of Chiron. And because of Chiron's uh, irregular orbit, it sometimes spends a long time in a sign and sometimes spends a short time in a sign, but it spends nine years in Aries, which is the longest that it spends anywhere in all the other signs. And on the day that Pisces begins, Chiron enters Aries that morning. And it actually had moved into Aries a a little bit last year, but because of retrograde, um, it had moved back into Pisces. So in April of last year, it had actually moved into Aries. It had turned retrograde in July, and then it turned direct again in September. And um, is that right? No, it moved uh, back into Pisces in September, and then it turned direct in December. And then on the 18th, it moves back into Aries, and that's where it's going to stay for the next nine years until 2027. So this is a really important transit, and I'm going to be teaching about it in this upcoming class. And um, the class is called um, Reconnecting the Separated Self. And I'm thinking about Aries as an energy of ego and identity and Chiron as a force of healing. Um, And that class is like a two and a half hour workshop. We're going to do astrology. We're going to do embodiment. We're going to do all kinds of different things. And it's online. So you can do it wherever you are. And it's going to be recorded. So you can do it even if you can't make it to the live stream. Um, So check it out at embodiedastrology.com. Anyway, on the same day that the sun moves into Pisces, um, there are a couple of other aspects that are pretty nice. As I said, um, Mercury is conjunct to Neptune. So that's uh, a pretty like space. And then Venus is conjunct to Saturn, which I did not talk about in that full moon um, chart, but I should have. Um, So Venus is conjunct to Saturn. And I feel that this aspect is... um, like a a real stabilizing around love. And Saturn is in the sign Capricorn. Saturn is the ruler of Capricorn. And this is like a a stable, heavy, weighted, like practical, you know, pragmatic energy. Like, okay, what's step one, two, three? How am I going to do it? And then Venus comes in and it brings this like benefic softness. And the way that I feel this is, is... the way that I have stabilized in self-love. And as I get older and as I do this work, um, and when, and this work is just so powerful, I think for self-love because astrology is just not judgmental and it's like, Oh, you know, here's this thing. Here's the place where you feel wretched. Um, cool. You know, like this is what you're going to do with it. So as I've stabilized in self-love, I feel like, Oh, okay. Like I can make good choices for myself. And where I have Saturn transiting right now is um, in my sixth house of day-to-day of health and of jobs. And so there's definitely a feeling that I have of like, how do I really want to care for my own essence in my day-to-day? Like I need to take control of my schedule in a different way. But 
the place that I have been coming from is a place of inadequacy and feeling like, okay, I've got to do all these things. I've got to prove all this stuff. And Venus coming together with Saturn definitely has this sensation of stabilizing in love, which in order to stabilize in love, there has to be self-love. Like we have to feel like we're stable so that we can stabilize in whatever it is that we're loving. Um, So that's one way to think about it. There can definitely be like committing kind of feeling to this. And for some of us, we might feel this as a dampening of the Venusian energy because Saturn can be quite heavy. And so if it's a day where there's like a lot of heaviness and it's also this, you know, weird full moon and the Mercury aspect. um, So there, it could be a day when you're like, love doesn't actually exist. That's totally possible too. So Venus conjunct Saturn isn't necessarily just like steady grounded loving. It's also the weight of Saturn on the placement of love. Now Mercury is conjunct to Neptune and this is, is like talking to God or something, or it's like being really high um, and, and intoxicated, but the mind is filled with something else. And so whether it's storytelling or fantasy or like divine messages or, um, LSD, like, I don't know, but your mind, the mind is getting a lot of different kinds of information. And then this leads into the next day when Mercury then sextiles Saturn. And the, the next day is also the day, of course, of the full moon. So we have this full moon in Virgo with this sensation of like service. What am I here to serve? And then Mercury is in sextile to Saturn. And so then whatever was happening the previous day with the dreamy mind space can now start to move into the stabilizing building space, which is Saturn and Capricorn. So these are really, I think, quite lovely feeling days. They have a lot of power to them. I, of course, you know, with astrology, it's like, who knows what you're going to feel. It depends on how it's acting in your chart and what you ate for breakfast, but, um, pay attention to the the thoughts and the inspirations that come in, uh, uh, you know, moving up to the full moon and then around the full moon, how you're getting directed and guided to start to put them into action. And there is definitely this feeling of steadying and commitment and like choice making that I think is pretty important. Um, on the 20th, which is the next day, Mercury enters its shadow. That means that it crosses the place that it's going to return to in a couple of weeks in its retrograde cycle. And the image here is that um, like you're walking somewhere and you drop something and you don't realize that you've dropped it or you walk past something and that thing that you walked past is important, but you didn't notice it. Um, or someone somewhere else is doing something and you don't really know what it is, but it's going to be important for whatever it is that you're doing. And you're going to find out about it later. And we're entering into the shadow of something that means that things are becoming less clear. And as we enter into the shadow, it's the time when we start to go, okay, like try not to make really big, important decisions. If possible, be very aware of any contracts that you're signing and, you know, make sure that you, give yourself time for things to not go as planned because the shadow acts a lot like the retrograde, but it's, it's kind of leading up to it. And so it's definitely a good time to notice what you're noticing and write things down, but like, don't necessarily take action on them. Even if you think that they're like awesome idea, if, if you can wait, wait. Um, all right. Okay. So moving right along on February, on, on Friday, the 22nd, February 22nd, 
we've got a couple of aspects. Um, so the first one is Mercury square to Jupiter. And because Mercury is in its shadow, now any aspects that it's making, it's going to repeat when it goes retrograde. So it's square to Jupiter today. It's going to be square to retrograde again on March 15th. And Jupiter in Sagittarius, once again, is a whole lot of information. And Mercury and like big beliefs and big ideas and opportunities and expand now. And then Mercury in Pisces is the mind going like, what is real? And so there's this question of like, how much can our minds actually comprehend? And all of the ideas and all of the possibilities, like they can feel very overwhelming. And part of the message I think with this is to really practice intuition and to try and feel into the the ways that you're pulled And so if you're pulled in some direction, you know, notice what's pulling you. Is it your head? Is it your fear? Is it your desire? Or do you really feel like steady and centered in your own being and you have a knowing that that's the direction that you want to go? And it's the knowing that you really want to follow. And if it's something that's more about like, oh my God, this idea, I'm so excited. I have to act now. Like that's a thing to maybe ease up with it. Like wait until you know, wait until the door is open. Venus in Capricorn that day is conjunct Pluto in Capricorn. And the note that I have for this is learn to honor and respect death and skillfully combat the love of killing. So Venus is, again, it's our love, it's our sweetness, it's our magnetism, Pluto is the death force. It's the transformational death force. They're in the sign Capricorn, which has to do with our structures and what we kind of take for granted and the rules that we play by. So that means that it's like, you know, (laughs) what are we going to commit to? But also, how do we let go of what's ready to let go? And what is the transformational process? How can we do this with love? Death happens. We've got to let things go. You know, we have to let things change. We can honor and respect death and and we can skillfully combat the love of killing. And by this, I mean the practice of nonviolence, which is not always not violent. Sometimes the nonviolent answer is to actually, you know, uh, you, you have to make a decision around like, what's the greater harm? So what is the love of killing? Is it, you know, when, when does this come up? And when I've taught yoga teacher training and we talk about ahimsa, which is the first precept of nonviolence, um, we would do this dyad practice where we'd go back and forth for like 10 minutes with one person asking the other person, how do you kill? And then um, the, the second person answers and then the first person just says, thank you. And then they ask it again, how do you kill? And after 10 minutes, like you break down, you start to cry and it's like, oh, well, there are so many ways that I kill. Like I kill when I drive my car, I kill when I eat meat, I kill when I cut that person off before they're able to ask me that question. I kill with this way that I'm looking at someone. I kill in all these different ways. So, and I think that it's a a really interesting and profound practice to do this kind of questioning work. Um, we live in a culture that loves to kill. So how do we honor death and look at the love of killing in a different way? 
The next day um, is Saturday, February 23rd, and Mercury then is sextile to Pluto. And the note that I have here is, what is the potential in apocalypse? And um, I've really been loving this question that I've been inspired by uh, the Brown sisters in there and the world podcast, but thinking about being in a time of apocalypse is being in a time when things are changing. And when the old world is dying, we're moving into a, a different space. We, we have to, you know, it's inevitable. And so what's the opportunity actually? And, and what's the healing or the spiritual purpose or the creative potential? And what's the consciousness of apocalypse. Like if, if everything is sentient and we believe that we live in this sentient space and, you know, Mercury and Pisces is like the supreme sentience, then what, you know, how do we work well with this transformational death force? As we move into the next week on Tuesday, the 26th of February, we reach the fourth quarter um, or the last quarter in the lunation cycle. The moon is in Sagittarius. Um, coming from the Virgo full moon, we're, we're moving from a place of decision and discernment into action. And Sagittarius uh, wants to, to do something. And some of the, the question here is like, well, what remains to believe in? Virgo it, it's a discriminating force and it goes, okay, I need this. I don't need that. It rules your intestines. It's like, keep this, uh, get rid of that. And Sagittarius wants to believe in something. So we have this question of what remains to believe in. And then, um, can I take that potential and travel and, and grow and ignite and, you know, move, do something with it. And then the next day, the sun is sextile to Mars in Taurus. And it's like we suddenly realize that the light is shifting. Um, Mars in Taurus is, you know, the, the way that like we're going to take action with something, but that Taurus is action through the senses. And the sun in Pisces has the like romantic quality of its vision. And so we suddenly realize that the light is shifting and that we want to be in our bodies differently. And so we go from this place at the fourth quarter square, which is like, okay, how do I want to move forward into this space of like, hmm, things are different. I can move forward in maybe a way that is more sensual, that is more pleasure-based. Yes, you're the earth pig. And then the next day on um, March 1st is this day when first Venus and Capricorn is square to Uranus and Aries. And then a few hours later, Venus enters Aquarius. And then a few hours after that, Venus and Aquarius is sextile to Chiron and Aries. And it's also the same day that Mercury enters its storm, which I'll talk about in just a sec. But, um, you know, this is kind of an interesting day where Venus in Capricorn square Uranus and Aries has this feeling of like, okay, we're just about to jump off the diving board. And we've got to let go of the love for what was that Venus Capricorn that like doesn't really want to move. And then Uranus at the last degree in the last minutes of Aries is going, yeah, well, sorry, we've got to go. And there's just this urgency for change. And then Venus moves into Aquarius and into this freedom space. And we go, okay, I did it. Um, so there's like a lot of potential breakthrough in these days, the 26th, the 27th and, and, um, 28th and then into March 1st, a couple uh, 
first few days of March, like this feeling of like, we could, we could really get some pretty amazing insight, be ready to take action on some changes that we've been thinking about for a long time. And one note that I have about Venus and Aquarius is that love is a state of mind with Venus and Aquarius, and we can strategize around love. And this is some of what I was talking about before with like, how do we dismantle racism? It's like, learn about neuroscience, you know, learn, learn that love can be a decision. Like it doesn't have to just be something that arises. It can be something that we practice. It can be something that we strategize. It can be something that we teach to other people. It's like, oh, when you're fearful, when there's difference, like your mind does something because your body does something, but it's not actually logical. It doesn't make sense. It's not grounded in anything. And as Venus then comes into sextile with Chiron, and of course Chiron is this like individual healing space, then we get this message that any love that's quote unquote real will come through individuals who know themselves. And I don't mean like I know what flavor of ice cream I like. It's like I know how my mind works. I know that when I see uh, this type of person, I ha- I'm going to have this kind of reaction in my body because I've been trained for it it's through millennia. <laughs> and therefore, I know that I can like check that reaction and tell myself something else and practice something else. Um, so we can strategize around love. Um, as we get into the following week on March 5th, which happens to be Mardi Gras for any of you. I know there's a bunch of people that are into EA in um, Louisiana, like Baton Rouge and New Orleans. So, hey, I hope you have a great March 5th. It's the day that Mercury turns retrograde. Oh, I forgot to say that Mercury enters its storm um, on March 1st. And that means that it's a couple of days before the retrograde. It's when the planet starts to slow down and things get really weird. And it's actually like the worst time of the Mercury retrograde is from... um, like when it's in its storm. So from March 1st through the 6th is the first part of its storm. And these are days when, you know, definitely like if you're making plans to meet someone, like just make your plans with like a 30 minute grace period and be like, I'm going to show up sometime between like one and one thirty, and just like bring a book, you know, don't look at your phone, bring a book, like be ready to wait and don't, you know, like don't stress out. Like if things aren't happening as they should like, just don't stress out because those days are rough. Um, but on the fifth, the mind Mercury turns towards the interior and this kind of like, uh, inner space that Pisces is this inner dream space. And it's the day that you remember, Oh, I dropped something back there. So you remember when I said that Mercury entered its storm, uh, I mean, it's shadow on the 20th of February, um, on the 5th of March, just think back to the 20th of February. It's like, Hmm, what was going on back then? Because you are just about to turn around and go check it out. The day after Mercury turns retrograde, we have the new moon in Pisces. And, um, this is a really special day because along with being the new moon in Pisces, um, the new moon is also conjunct Neptune. It's right in the middle of, um, the sign conjunct this amazing dream force. And it's the day that Uranus enters Taurus for its final ingress. 
Um, and so if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've definitely heard me talk about Uranus and Taurus. This is another outer planet transit. It's a seven year transit, this one. And Uranus is a revolutionary force. It creates massive change. It is all about innovation and liberation and doing things differently. And Taurus is a sign that rules money and bodies and the earth. So we need to learn to do things differently. Um, I just want to give another plug for this upcoming class called Elemental Economics because it will look at Uranus's transit through Taurus as a means to rethink money and worth and wealth and value. And that class uh, isn't happening until May. It happens on the new moon in Taurus, but mention it here um, because that class is, is really like what I'm thinking of as maybe some of the potential, not the class, but like that theme, you know, it's just like, we've got to rethink money. We need to rethink the ways that we're uh, coming into relationship with resources for sure. And I love the title of Adrian Marie Brown's new book, Pleasure Activism. I feel like Uranus and Taurus is all about pleasure activism. It's figuring out how to really be in our sensory experience, be embodied, um, be joyful, you know, and be together in this like weird moment that we're in on earth and figure out how to take care of each other. So new moon on uh, Wednesday, the sixth is a new moon in Pisces and every new moon is a new beginning. And with Pisces as the space of the dream, this is a time to dream a new dream. So with your new moon intentions, um, dream a new dream. And I'll be checking in with you again on, um, the six with your new moon horoscopes, not a longer podcast, maybe just a little bit of an intro, but definitely check out the horoscopes so that you can hear about how this new moon is going to, um, affect you and your charts. Then as we move, uh, through the month on Friday, the eighth, the sun is sextile to Capricorn. And the note that I have here is a little poem. It says, and then our posture was different, more easeful, less tense, somehow, suddenly, we were soft and relaxed again. And the sun in Pisces, sextile to Saturn in Capricorn is what that feels like to me. It feels like, oh, oh, this is where I am. That kind of awakening presence, the capital P, quietness of Pisces, and our awareness being in that space, connecting easefully with Saturn and Capricorn. It's like we can just like stand in ourselves a little bit differently and feel like maybe a little less scared, a little bit more easeful, a little bit more receptive. Um, later that weekend on March 10th, is a Sunday, Sunday, March 10th, um, Mars in Taurus will sextile uh, Neptune in Pisces. And Mars, remember, is action and Taurus is the earth, and Neptune is like vibes or um, inspiration and creativity, and Pisces is the sea. So a sextile is a it's a productive aspect, and the like the question that I wrote down is when the sea moves well with the earth, what can we create? And the sea is also emotion and the earth is also action. So when, when our feelings, when our emotions are moving well with our actions, what can we create when we're in a place of integrity? It's a question for March 10th. 
um, moving a couple days on on March 13th. This is a Wednesday. The sun forms a couple of aspects. It's sextile to Pluto early in the day and then square to Jupiter later in the day. So again, the sun is consciousness and this kind of like awareness and readiness to experience and express. And Pluto again is the death force. And so there's this like idea that, you know, we're, we're able to comprehend the death force. We've like been doing this thinking around what's the potential of apocalypse and what does death inspire? You know, when we're kind of looking at the inevitability of change and ending, how are we inspired to move forwards? And, um, one of the things that you know seems like it's important to think about is again what are the opportunities and how do we see this moment as an opportunity and so the sun square to jupiter is the challenge of the opportunity like okay what you know what am i looking at and then what can i do from here the next day we have the second quarter square in Gemini coming from the new moon in Pisces. This is a, a moon when our feelings may be a little bit easier to articulate. Um, Pisces is not a verbal space. It's a feeling space. But as we get into Gemini, we've got some more words. And so then it's just, you know, like getting it out there. So we've got to talk about the feelings or talk about these experiences that have been going on more in the interior space. Then later in the day, Mars in Taurus is trying to Saturn in Capricorn. And the thing that I, <laughs> that I have written down is actions speak louder than words. It takes patience to move with the earth. And actions speak louder than words is true. Um, and right now, it's like actions are pretty pivotal. It takes patience to move with the earth, but time is of the essence. What are you doing can you cut down driving? Can you use less plastic? You know, like, do you have extra money? Give it to people who need it. This kind of thing. Like, what are the actions? It's not just about words. It's really like, what are we doing with the idea? Um, and then later uh, that evening, the sun will conjunct Mercury for the second time uh, since January 30th, um, when it was conjunct Mercury for the first time in its Mercury retrograde cycle. And so now, of course, Mercury is retrograde again. And so think back um, on March 14th to uh, January 30th and like the days around then that's when the sun and Mercury were conjunct, um, at 10 degrees of Aquarius and, uh, with Mercury coming back in a conjunction with the sun, there may be like the second part of that idea. Um, and so when the sun is conjunct Mercury, the mental space gets filled with our like higher level consciousness. Um, the next day Mercury moves into a square with Jupiter. And so I had mentioned this before um, on February 22nd and 23rd that Mercury was also in a square with Jupiter. Um, but now Mercury is retrograde and there's this feeling of like mm, sensitivity. Before there is this thing of like, okay, there's all this information. How do I like get into my integrity? What is it that's driving me? And, and how do I know? You know, like when I know, then I know. If I don't know, then maybe it's not the time. And now there's the kind of like the internal reflection on it, which is like everything is affecting me. You know, all the stuff that I'm taking in is affecting me. And so what is it that is coming into my consciousness right now? And um, I just want to say, you know, like we are environmentally sensitive creatures and um, I need a, a detox from the phone and the internet. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I need to like get 
more real again, and maybe you do too, and this would be a good time to do it in March with Mercury retrograde. So then on the 16th, um, Mercury is in sextile with Pluto. Um, This also happened back in February on the 23rd. And you want to notice here, because Mercury is retrograde again, so we're in a reflective space. Notice what's transforming. Pluto is the transformational force. Look around your inner space. How are you changing? On the 17th of March, Mercury is then sextile to Mars, um, which it was back in early February, February 7th and 8th. So think back to that time. And um, Mars was in Aquarius then, it's in Taurus now. And the question here is like, well, what, you know, what's the first dream that I remember? Like, what's at the root of my desire? And how do I sense what I'm hungry for? Like what really drives my hunger? What inspires me to build? What's right at the, at the base? Like where does my instinct to act in the world and to build in the world come from is something that we want to understand and clarify for ourselves. And then um, there's just some lunar aspects as we get into... Um, the equinox time. So the next day where there's really any strong aspects is March 20th. And that's the day of the full moon in Libra. It's the spring equinox. It's uh, when the sun moves into Aries. It's also international astrology day. Um, So that's exciting, but I will be back with you then and uh, give you another month long update and talk more about the astrology of that moment. So thank you for listening to this long podcast. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you divide it into the parts. Um, And I just want to remind you that you can check out your horoscopes. They're linked to this recording, or you can find them at embodiedastrology.com. And the horoscopes are there to help you understand how this full moon and this astrology and especially Chiron and Aries is acting in your chart. So definitely check them out. Listen for your rising sign as well as your sun sign. Definitely check out the embodied astrology journals and Pisces season journal is available now if you want to work with astrology more on your day to day. Um, The online classes for Chiron and Aries and Uranus and Taurus are available to sign up for now. Um, the links are on my website. So if you go to embodiedastrology.com and click on work with me and then the online classes, you'll find the links there. And then you'll also find them on my, um, you know, I don't know if they're on Instagram, but they're on Facebook and they're on the post for this episode and I will put them on Instagram. So check them out. And finally, if you are in Southern California, I will be there next month. I'll be in Joshua Tree and Los Angeles, and I'll be offering just a couple of sessions and maybe doing some events. So stay tuned. If you want to come, I would love to see you. I'd love to meet you. And I hope to see you there. Happy full moon, everyone. Happy Pisces season. Happy birthday to my Pisces people. And wow, this next couple of months are big, um, or a couple of weeks um, are big, big outer planet movements, a lot of things shifting. The feeling to me is that there's some um, massive amounts of creativity coming through. And I know that a lot of you who listen are artists, and I hope you share your art with me. I want to see it. Send it along. All right. 
Uh, lots of love. Thanks for listening and bye for now.